From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to the OCFA's Pass Along Podcast. Uh, This week, we've got Fire Captain Pete Condi sitting down with Assistant Chief of Operations, Brian Young to uh, discuss the ongoing staffing issues uh, which involve force hiring and uh, I know they have a significant impact to uh, your personal lives and uh, those of your families. So uh, take a listen. An individual shared something with me months ago that was part of the staffing committee and I I think it was was very um, well stated is he says, the problem with staffing is is so big that we're going to need to make significant number of small changes and each one of those changes may only resi- result in three to five percent improvement but when we're all done we'll have something that works a lot better all right so that's coming up but until then let's go over some of the news and noteworthy items uh, as most of you are aware uh, we literally right this moment are in red flag warning uh, throughout much of southern california it's uh it's obviously been a uh, eventful morning and uh, last night as well uh, obviously, we've been upstaffing to, uh, in anticipation of this, but uh, regardless of our efforts uh, in the region, up in uh, both Ventura and LA County, and now even in San Diego County, we've got uh, several fires that are burning in Southern California. The Creek Fire is up in, uh, near Silmar in LA County. I think that's up to about 11,000 acres so far. And then uh, we also have the Thomas Fire that's um, just uh, historic uh, damage uh, wreaking havoc through uh, the area of uh, Ventura, just uh, east of the county there and, and moving into the county. So um, our hearts go out to the folks there. I think they're up to 45,000 acres, uh, over 150 homes. Uh, those folks that have lost their homes, uh, maybe livelihoods, businesses, and what have you, our hearts and prayers go out to them, as well as the responders. Uh, the OCFA does have several strike teams out uh, and overhead as well. Uh, moving into uh, LA County, Ventura County, and even down to uh, the fire in um, uh, Camp Pendleton off of Basalone. We've got resources moving in that direction as well. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Um, that, of course, uh, you know, when we send those uh, overhead as well as the strike teams out, puts an additional strain on uh, you having to fill those uh, requests. And uh, that's really something that Chief Young is going to talk on, uh, in addition to the other causes of our forces, whether it be work comp or uh, specialty positions, assignments, training, etc. So uh, looking forward to Chief Young's comments and addressing uh, the force issue. All right, with regards to the recent fires here in Orange County, uh, all of Canyon 1 and 2, Chief Young put out a memo back uh, November 30th asking for feedback from anyone and everyone who was involved in, uh, in any capacity or really during the fires 1 or 2. And as we move forward, we want to do the after action report. So make sure to uh, check in there. Uh, I think uh, Daryl uh, Milliot, Captain Milliot from uh, the operations uh, admin put out a survey. So we'll be looking for your feedback uh, in regards to how we can improve. Uh, and really, um, again, I, I just want to make it very clear that our forces um, in, in all aspects, whether it's support, ECC, operations, overhead, etc., did an amazing job considering what we are faced with. Um, and like I said before, great organizations though, they don't want to just be great, they want to be uh, above and beyond um, great and, and be excellent at what we do. So we're always looking for ways to improve. So please get those surveys in. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Academy 45. They're on final approach. Uh, I think we're uh, 39 recruits. Got their final coming up here on Monday and that'll be a big week for them. 
Uh, remember the graduations Wednesday, December 20th on the drill grounds at 6 p.m. If you haven't been to one of their graduations of the last, I don't know, six, seven, ten academies, uh, they're pretty impressive. Uh, training puts on a great show. The families are out there. It's just a really neat time to celebrate uh, our best and brightest joining the OCFA. So we hope to see you out there. Uh, last but not least, Benevolent Association is hosting their annual OCFA uh, Christmas party on Thursday, December 14th at the Ritz. And uh, I just want to make sure that uh, you're aware of that. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll be down there with uh, my wife and a host of friends and, and co-workers and look forward to another great time. Uh, if you could, try to get your RSVPs in by December 11th. All right, that's it for news and, news and noteworthy items. So let's move on to our featured segment. Here's Fire Captain Pete Condy interviewing our Ops Chief Brian Young regarding the staffing and force issues. Okay, hi, this is Peter Condy, Fire Captain, hosting this episode of the OCFA podcast. Talking today with Operations Chief Brian Young. Thank you very much for joining us today. The topic is issues related to staffing. So uh, we'll get right into it. Um, Staffing has been an issue for a while. What sort of things is OCFA doing to handle the problem? Uh, you bring up a good point that it's been an issue for a while. It's been a significant issue and um, we understand the negative impacts that it's having with morale. That's really the biggest concern is, is, is we don't want to create situations where uh, the men and women of OCFA don't want to come to work. Um, that's our core uh, function is to serve the community and when we're putting an undue burden on, on the folks in, in the field, it's just not fair. We don't, we don't like to create that, that environment and it's not conducive um, to, to healthy situations, whether it be the work-life balance um, or even being at work. So um, it's a good question as far as what have we done. Um, it's a very complex problem and I know that may seem like a cop-out or an excuse to say something's complex, but I think it's, it's a good way to characterize it is we have multiple um, issues driving the staffing problems. Um, we know that historically we were always focused on um, the need to fill from the bottom. We had all these open positions and we realized that uh, recently uh, more, more aggressively we've done uh, several things. One of those is to uh, have more compressed academies and more of them. Um, the, we made an attempt to do a shorter academy with a lateral medic um, we were able to get uh, some lateral medics in the field sooner and then um, we transitioned back to the 16-week full-time academy and we're running back-to-back -back academies. Uh, one of those graduates right before Christmas with almost 40 individuals and then we have another academy starting after the first of the year with 40 more. So you can see how we're really starting to fill from the bottom um, so that's beneficial um, but just due to time um, we're going to have ebbs and flows as far as the openings. We know right now that the fire captain rank and the engineer rank are the ones that are most significantly impacted. Um, I know the firefighter paramedic rank is still suffering some of the consequences of what we've been dealing with over the last year to two years, um, but that a lot of that burden is being shifted. So um, we know that it's going to be a constant ebb and flow, but we know that filling from the bottom is the initial thing we need to do and then um, promoting rapidly behind those so we can have that turnover and that evolution. You also bring into the component with the MOU protected um, open positions. That's part of the plan as we move forward. Those will be decreasing over the years as the length of the academy, or excuse me, the length of the MOU goes forward. So that'll also help with the open positions. Um, and then one last thing I'll throw in there is where I, I use that term complex 
is um, we can't just focus on the open positions being the driving factor. There's a multitude of things that create our staffing um, openings or the need to, to hire overtime. Um, it's incident-based. We've, we've suffered uh, a very busy season, uh, specifically in the Orange County area with the most recent fires, um, as well as supporting the needs of, of our partners outside of the operational area. And then we have workers' comp um, needs to fill those open positions. And then we have um, wonderful things that are afforded to us um, under the MOU, such as uh, sick leave and vacation time that people uh, use, um, which, which affect the need for overtime, as well as shift trades. And you may say, like, well, how do shift trades come into play? But even shift trades, which are a wonderful benefit, come into play because if somebody shift trades off, somebody has to shift trade working for them, therefore removing them um, out of the hiring pool. So you can see just looking at those, it provides a snapshot of how broad spectrum it is. And I'd encourage everybody to go into staffing and just uh, filter on some of those columns. Um, when you look at the top of the staffing program, there's ability to filter every column. And if you do that just on cause code, um, it'll show you, it'll bunch those up into what the cause code is for that specific day. And it'll give you a good understanding as far as um, the sheer number of different things that cause the need to, to um, have staffing enhancements. It's a really good way to get a snapshot of what the pulse is for that day. Very good. Yeah, definitely a lot of layers with that. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. Um, you brought up a couple good points in that, in that answer. Um, the Lateral Medic Academy, mm -hmm. um, how has the response been to the Lateral Medic Academy, because I know that that was the first one in a while. Yeah. Um, and number two, uh, any other, any more plans for any additional Lateral Medic Academy? So um, obviously that was the first one we'd done in, in years. Um, a lot of the folks that work here at OCFA have entered, whether it be a, a historic Lateral Academy or they were brought in as a, a Lateral at a full Academy. So we're not necessarily set on the length of that Academy. Um, that one that was uh, recently graduated was a 13-week academy, and we accomplished that by um, taking the weeks out of the academy and require those to be minimum qualifications. So um, through the evaluation of that academy process, the cadre is wondering if that was the best, best model. So uh, to s distinctly say that we're going to see that exact same model in the future, I can't say that um, because I'm not positive we'll see that. Um, we do know that we have the ability to, um, to still attract paramedics, and, but we also realize by raising the minimum qualifications, we probably eliminated some of the people that were eligibly hired because we had some pretty strict requirements to, to apply for that process. Some of those being uh, rescue systems one, confined space awareness, um, several CICCS uh, uh, minimum qualification classes. Mm -hmm. So we're evaluating what that lateral medic will look like in the future. We do, do know that we have a significant need um, for medics and we will um, throughout history of our agency, especially with, uh, with the growth and the, and the increase. Uh, you know, recently with um, receiving a SAFER grant, we're able to create um, several new medic engines um, that weren't there in existence before, which added new uh, post positions. Um, so we'll see that uh, concept of a lateral medic recruitment continue to evolve. Um, but we do know we have that significant need. And, and obviously our ultimate goal though is still to bring as many medics from internally as possible. We'd love to see those, those firefighter non-medics uh, raise their hand and go into medic school and really be kind of homegrown uh, firefighter paramedics. As a matter of fact, I believe we have close to 10 going into the next medic class that starts in January. And the most recent class had a, a large number graduate too. So we're still seeing the interest from our internal candidates um, and that will bring us positive results as far as trying to meet those numbers. But 
the industry as a whole for the fire service is significantly impacted by the lack of firefighter paramedics. Yeah. Um, and we're suffering it too. Sure, yeah, yeah, I'm just, makes sense, definitely. Um, you touched on as well um, about how this summer was tough because yeah. of all the fires and how much overhead and how many strike teams and, and, and personnel we sent out of county. Uh, is there any talk about uh, reducing the number of overhead and maybe even the number of strike teams that go out when there is the big staffing drawdown? So um, what we'll generally do is, is we evaluate the needs at the time. So a lot of times it's incident driven, right? If, uh, if you know that uh, immediate need requests are, are put in and there's houses being burned, people are, are being uh, put in harm's way and there's even fight fatalities involved, it changes our decision-making matrix. Um, obviously a plan needs a totally different situation. We haven't had a lot of plan need uh, requests um, this year. They've mostly been really significant um, uh, evolutionary uh, incidents, right, that are growing rapidly. A perfect example is a fire that's in Ventura right now. Um, you know, they anticipate that thing to get to 50,000 acres in a, in a very short period of time with significant neighborhoods being destroyed and, and life loss associated. So um, we have to balance that. Uh, back to your point is, is the number of overhead definitely impacts the number of strike teams we can send out. Um, so even with the fires that we have right now, um, the, the wind event we're suffering uh, is causing several new starts in the region and we're sending out one strike team at a time to evaluate our ability to fill behind them. And I'm, I'm so proud of everybody in operations right now for stepping up. I know that term is something that's out there like stepping up. We step up constantly, you know, or the, uh, the one that I hear th thrown out there is, is dig deep. How much deeper can we dig? Um, but I'm telling you right now, it was incredible. In the last two days, we sent out um, two different alpha strike teams. And within a number of hours, all five of those stations were filled behind. And it didn't occur at shift change. It occurred in the middle of the shift or late at night. So it shows the willingness and the dedication of everybody to do their core mission. And it, it was really good. Um, but to your question, um, yes, we do consciously look at that balance. Um, and if you've been monitoring those outputs throughout the, the season this year, you'll see sometimes we have a ton of overhead out and very few strike teams. And a lot of that is balanced for that reason. When we don't have the ability to send the strike teams out, we can send a little bit more overhead, but we definitely try to balance that out. Okay, very good. Um, has OCFA looked into any type of automated staffing system? So uh, I know there's been a lot of rumors out there, especially from people that have come in f uh, from other agencies or they know what other partner agencies um, utilize as far as a system. Um, one of the buzzwords that's used a lot is telestaff. Um, so um, one of the things that, that we have a significant need for here is our current staffing system has to integrate with our payroll system. Um, and any kind of staffing system you have would need to have that interface in effect. Um, so the belief that just bringing in another, um, for lack of better terms, bolt-on system would be the solve, the, the solve-all to this problem, I, I don't think that's a fair characterization, especially with all of the really specific specialty nuances that we have with our staffing here. It requires our ability to make all of those tweaks and changes um, on our own. Um, I know some of the frustration of the perception is that those don't happen in a timely manner. Um, but there's been some very rapid positive changes that have happened in the last six months with those changes. So I know the, the questions out there that telestaff's gonna set, solve all of our problems, but kind of as I referenced at the beginning of this discussion, um, 
the staffing problem is not based on a software issue. The staffing problem is, is based on a multitude of issues. And the programming is just one piece of it. But from my perception is we've made a lot of positive strides recently with, that, with the um, program enhancements. And you know, some of those um, have already started to reap positive benefits. Perfect example is the, is the voluntary protection um, component. Um, that had a little bit of bumps in the road recently, um, but ultimately it's it's doing good things that we were hoping it would do. Yeah, okay, very good. Um, with that in mind, kind of leads into the next question. Um, there, there are definitely a, a, a lot of staffing stations mm. with their personnel there um, and different different personnel, but there seem to be a lot of inconsistencies with how they operate from one manpower station to the next um, and with these hiring issues this past year many times the staffing SOP is not followed mm. just so they can get someone in the seat um, do you agree that there are these issues and if so what is being done about them? yeah I would agree I mean and I think you're gonna have inconsistencies with any decision-making process when you have a large um, agency it's it's not uh, something that's desired but you know that it's gonna happen as a byproduct um, the, the testament would be is, is if we recognize these inconsistencies and then we do something to fix it, right? And, th and that's kind of your, your point. So um, fortunately, there's been some recent evolutions with board approved staff uh, reports um, that included identifying a primary duty manpower coordinator. Now the intent of that whole uh, concept of, of identifying a duty manpower coordinator was not to take all of the ancillary and lower level staffing things away from the individual battalions, but to create a higher end super user, so to speak. Uh, we know Station 22 has been the go-to um, gurus of staffing um, for years, and they continue to do so. Um, so. So we recently identified 22s as the duty manpower coordinator to deal with a lot of those higher level staffing issues. Um, Right now, the, uh, the three shifts at 22s, as well as the three uh, shifts of the BCs at 22s, are working on an ad hoc to do exactly what you mentioned. Um, look at the staffing SOPs, look at the memos that have come out over the last three, four, five years that are relevant to staffing. Make sure there's no incongruencies, right? Because that's a lot of times what happens is, is that um, somebody um, of a decision-making position, whether it be an ops chief or, or another assistant chief or even the fire chief, may do something or make a, a decision that would override policy or procedure, and then it's never reconciled. Um, so we need to go through that. And, the, and that ad hoc group of, of subject matter experts from all three shifts there at 22s as well as um, the BCs is going to reconcile all those, those policies, procedures, memos, determine out what the best practices are, and then clearly identify what the expectations are of the supporting battalions um, to handle normal entries like sick leave and things like that that should be able to be handled at a lower level. And then it'll be clearly identified what the higher level, more um, detailed staffing issues are, for example, filling behind strike teams and that sort of thing. Um, there's a distinct need for that to be a, a duty manpower coordinator to handle those things because um, those are a lot more detailed and, and problematic. So um, we realize there are some inconsistencies. We're working to create consistency with that. And, and a lot of the things that have happened recently are trying to achieve that. Um, I know the frustration is though, is, is it's a bunch of little tiny corrections um, and not a global change. And um, 
an individual shared something with me months ago that was part of the staffing committee, and I, I think it was it was very um, well stated. Is he says the problem with staffing is is so big that we're going to need to make significant number of small changes and each one of those changes may only result in three to five percent improvement but when we're all done we'll have something that works a lot better so i think we're moving towards that with a lot of these changes it just doesn't feel like that because the forces are still happening but you will see as things are improving that that it is getting better problem is is just when they get better then we have more openings so perfect example is the engineer captain rank yeah. we're making these positive enhancements with situations like the the voluntary protection um, blockouts but when you still have a significant number of the workforce that's open positions because we haven't had a promotion yet um, it doesn't feel like it's working right so it's it's frustrating and I totally understand that from from the firefighters in the field and you touched on station 22. I mean, they are mm -hmm. definitely the go-to station when you have a, a staffing manpower issue. Correct. A, a lot of people call them directly because mm -hmm. they are uh, they are definitely the tip of the spear when it comes to answering any question that you might have. Right. So with the idea of that being a centralized manpower location, mm -hmm. what about the extra workload that it would put on those folks there? It almost seems like it could very well be a full-time job taking care of that. So how is that yeah, so, going to be addressed? So the fact that they were uh, recently approved by the board to be the dedicated duty manpower coordinators with an associated bonus, um, we also knew that that wasn't going to be in perpetuity, right? Because technology is going to evolve, needs are going to evolve, the impacts to your very point. Um, you know, there's days that, that those guys work 20 plus hours just on staffing. Um, and, and it's difficult. Um, you see the frustration they have, especially with the inconsistencies um, that they're having to deal with. Um, so um, I totally agree with your, your point, is it may further evolve into something else. Um, we knew that we needed to do a short-term um, solution right now to try to empower them to do more, which is why we raised them to the, to the truly identified duty manpower coordinator with the associated compensation. Um, but we also do know that, that it could very well evolve to something else, whether it be a staff assignment um, that does that full time, whether it be a professional staff. Um, you know, many folks have been around uh, for a long time and can remember when we had dedicated staffing desk that was filled by professional staff. Um, it was a long time ago. Um, actually, when those reports would come out, they'd be in the dot matrix printers that would come in your mail. But, nice. uh, um, but, but we did have that in the past, and it may evolve to that in the future. But hopefully with the evolution of technology, a lot of that stuff will be automated. Um, I know that's one of the true benefits that people like with Telestaff is that you can have a computer call in and do the hiring. Um, so that is one of the desires with our current staffing system is to provide those automations. So you'll have robo dialing and those kind of things will take place through the staffing system. Very good. Yeah. W with all these changes that have happened and that are going to continue to come, yeah. is there going to be any uh, different means of communicating all these changes? Because, you know, again, the pulse of f folks out in the field is that it's hard to keep up yeah. with all these changes. and and. I'm sure you hear that as well. Are oh, there, yeah. any, there any different means that we're talking about of getting the word out and these changes and making sure they're known and emphasized yeah. and all that? So, and, and that's a great question, right? And it kind of comes on the heels of, um, you know, I would say it was a it was a shortcoming on the on the organization where we didn't truly identify all of the the very specific details of the of the uh, voluntary protection. 
right? Um, it was kind of after the fact it was unfurled, and, and that, that wasn't a good messaging, right? And, and I'm sure those of you that looked at the, the um, document that came out that explained all of it with all the screen captures and showing all the details, um, it was evident that the information was desired to get out there, it was just missed in the messaging. Um, but there's the unfortunate part of it is every time there's a change, if the message isn't shared appropriately, people miss it. It's kind of like for those that are medics um, or were medics. How many times you get frustrated with treatment guideline changes? It seems like every time you turn around, there's a new treatment guideline change. Um, so it's the same thing with staffing. I know that, that um, everybody's feeling that because we're literally, I'll use that term of constantly turning that knob, trying to find the perfect sweet spot. So. I already uh, briefly touched on it with some of the technology communications for the system itself, um, but we'll continue to try to, to get the message out there with memos, and I know memo is a brutal word, but memos, um, conference calls, video newsletter, podcasts. Um, we realize that we're now in an age where not everybody communicates the same way, and um, trying to accomplish as many different mechanisms to communicate a message is, is critical for our success on all um, communication in the future so um, we'll do better with that and I would encourage people that when they have problems that come up um, there's a chain of command that you can follow um, if something doesn't seem right in the staffing system follow your chain of command and, and follow a course of action um, necessarily firing off an email that feels good doesn't necessarily accomplish your objective and um, and it misses the mark so um, if things fall short um, Identify those, follow the chain of command, and let people know that something's missing or something's not right. Because the, the ultimate desire is to make this thing work. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last question. Uh, I talked with a number of people who work overhead assignments, mm. either part of other teams or our incident management team. And the number one thing they brought up every time was, why do you not get a force day or a force protection day when you work an overhead assignment? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I mean, we've seen a, we've seen an interesting evolution of how we do forces, right? Um, and I don't remember exactly the specifics of it, but I remember um, before we'd go on a strike team, you would get one day. I don't remember if it was the last day or the first day, right? Um, there was something like that, or, or then you get every day. Um, but that, that brings up a good point is, is though um, people are on these teams voluntarily, they are serving a need of the fire service in general, but they're also serving a need of the agency by bringing that subject matter expertise. So I think that's something worthy of more discussion as far as um, that they're not overly burdened when they return. Because hypothetically, I know, I know the scenario, um, they go out of county for 20 days and they come back and they're number one on the force list. Um, granting um, those folks a force for every day they're out of county doesn't seem real reasonable, but coming up with some reasonable accommodations so that they are um, receiving something so that they're not basically jumped in, so to speak, as soon as they return would probably be um, something we definitely need to look at um, and, and see how we can make that more equitable and fair. I know, I know that's one of the desires when people return from staff assignments, um, that often happens with them. And that's one of the enhancements that we're working on right now to kind of level that playing field though, that when somebody returns to a to the field from a staff assignment, if they come out at the wrong time, they hypothetically could just be on that chopping block until the cycle resets. So we don't want to do that. Um, and a lot of times we don't, we don't see these things coming. Um, and it's not until people bring them forward, like situations like this, and we can bring them to the, to the ad hoc groups, the staffing committee, 
um, these joint labor management um, work groups that we have. I'll tell you right now, one of the, the significant successes that we've realized with a lot of these staffing changes, though they're very small incremental in, in, in uh, format, like I said, is a, a very uh, collaborative work group with labor, with executive management, and with key um, components of professional staff, whether it be finance or the staffing committee, have worked very hard to get a lot of these things uh, accomplished in a short period of time. We have a pretty long um, punch list that we've been working through. And some of them are very small in the weeds changes, but, th but they will all contribute to this thing as a whole. Prime example is one of the changes that's being brought forward is um, any partial shift trade less than 12 hours will have to be um, achieved by the person. So if, for example, you have a, uh, a sporting event you want to attend with one of your children and it's only for eight hours, you have to get your own coverage. But if you have a 12 hour a day, it can go in the staffing system and staffing will hire those. Because we all see what happens when somebody will put a partial in, somebody that doesn't want to work a partial will return it. So that's another enhancement that'll be coming is a partial availability list, those that want to work partials. Um, some of the other things you'll see is strike team lists, people that want to go on strike teams. All of those things are positive changes. It does make the staffing system more complicated but I guarantee you everybody that, that works um, in the field is going to like the changes that it will afford them to have a better understanding of what they can expect on their schedule and take away that uncertainty. Because I know that's got to be one of the most um, greatest causes of anxiety is the lack of certainty, right? Not knowing if you're going to go home the next day. Um, I know that when we have fires, that's not in our control. But when it's just a normal condition, um, I do understand um, how that must feel to know that, gosh, I hope I can go home tomorrow when there's nothing going on. It's got to be frustrating. And um, we're working. We're really we're trying to make things better. It doesn't seem like it's moving fast enough, and I understand. But rest assured, we are making changes. So the concept of everybody doing their fair share um, does seem noble and does seem easy, right? So hypothetically, we've heard those, those um, recommendations thrown out there. If you did the math and you determine how many open positions need to be filled on a monthly basis and then you divide it by the total number of the workforce, each guy has to work X number of days to accomplish um, the goal. Um, but once again, that is taking a lot of things into consideration that we can't control. Um, the uncertainty of emergency responses, the uncertainty of sick leave, the uncertainty of vacation. So um, conceptually it makes sense but the reality of it is, is, is our work environment is so fluid that it would be difficult to, to line those out. But one of the ways that we tried to accomplish that was kind of meeting in the middle where people have more control of their schedule, which is tragic that we have to say that. We, we want to give you more control of your schedule. Wasn't that the intent of a schedule is control? Um, but the uh, uh, voluntary protection days have done that is though it only does a one-for-one -one exchange, somebody says, I am willing to work this day, and in return, I am getting protected from a day of my choice. That has, has resulted in a significant number of availabilities being put in the system, and we're seeing positive effects from that. And um, from a system perspective, I'm so grateful that people see the value in that, and they're helping the system because, um, those A's and those availabilities are having a positive impact. There was a day about two weeks ago, um, it was a midweek day, and I understand weekends are greater impact, but there was six people forced in the entire department for the day. 
That was incredible. It was granted it was a Wednesday and, and it was a shift that doesn't have as many openings, but it shows you that, that things are getting better sometimes. <laughs> um, and I don't want to say that because people are going to go, you don't know what it's like, because you're right, I don't know what it's like to wake up and go, I hope I don't get forced today. Um, but, but rest assured that we are concerned about it and it is heavy on our hearts. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time and the information. All right. It's great talking to you. All right. Thanks, Pete, for conducting the interview and Chief Young for uh, just uh, shedding a little bit more light on the totality of circumstances that uh, surround the forcing issue. I know this is a tough topic and uh, I'm sure um, all of our coworkers uh, appreciate the update. So until then, uh, until our next time, I should say, let's watch out for each other and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.